0: This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you, A lot is left to be decided. Welcome in. It is a Friday, and we appreciate you joining us here on A to Z Unlocked on Sports Atlanta. Lots to get to today. Hawks have a huge game tonight, obviously, to get into the NBA playoffs officially as they take on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Braves continue to struggle. And of course, we have some Falcons news that we'll get to here in just a moment. Lauren Jabara, sideline reporter for the Hawks on Valley, will join us coming up later on in the show. We've got A ton to do today here on this Friday. Very excited to have you guys with me. And let's start with the Atlanta Falcons because I heard an interview that Dean Pease gave um, earlier this morning on one of the local radio stations here. And it got me thinking. And I begin to wonder this year with this Falcons team, like, who's going to be better this year, the offense or the defense? And a lot of people generally would just point to the offense because I guess, you know, it's easier to score points. I mean, clearly, again, uh, it's Kyle Pitts. You know, I I know there's no running backs and the quarterback has changed. And, you know, maybe this is the year where the defense actually is a little better. But, you know, I started to think about what Dean Peace was saying because, you know, he talks so much about a mentality uh, of his defenses. And and he mentioned how – in his coaching career between New England, Baltimore, Tennessee, and Atlanta, prior to last year, he only had one losing season uh, in his coaching career as, as a D.C. And he continued to lament the idea that this is, there's a mentality problem within the Falcons that their defense can't ever be great. And he always was around teams where the mentality was the defense was always going to be great. Well, if you want to be great, you need to have great players. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, He had great players in New England. He had a ton of great players in Baltimore. He had very, very good players in Tennessee. You don't have a lot of great players here in Atlanta on the defensive side of the ball. You have one great player, and that's Grady Jarrett. You have a really, really good, probably soon-to-be great player in A.J. Terrell. If he can get some measure of consistency, we'll really find that out this year. If his ascent continues to go up where it's supposed to be um so you don't have a lot of great players but what made me start to think is how much influence not necessarily does dean pease have per se but how much influence does arthur smith and terry font know how much do they want to make the identity of this team defensive versus offensive you know dan quinn obviously was brought in here as a defensive guy and, and believe it or not, I, I know the numbers don't – people don't remember this, and the numbers don't necessarily bear it out. But, you know, for for a – let's call it, you know, 24-game span, um, more like 20 – let's call it 24 if you with the playoffs. The defense was, was the best part of this team. And that's tough to say given the offense that they were in the second half of 2016, right? Because if you go from, like, week – I think it was week 12 on or week 11 on the last six games of the regular season, all the games with the exception of the second half in the postseason, or the second half of the Super Bowl in the postseason. And then all of 2017, when that was a top 10 defense, that was the best stretch of Falcons defensive football for the last, call it 30 years. I mean, it really was. Objectively, it really was. Um, and so, you know. He had that going for them for a little while, and it all fell apart very, very quickly. And and some of that is the reason it fell apart is because Vic Beasley stopped getting the quarterback and Deion Jones stopped being a viable player. And, you know, a lot of these other guys who played over their heads um, just for for those 22, 24 games just didn't last. But that's why this draft, I think, is so important. and And, and what they draft is really going to tell you what they want the identity of this team to be. And I said this yesterday when Aaron Freeman from Locked On Falcons was on the show. You can go back and listen to that interview. He and I don't agree often, but what we do, it's, it's always worth a conversation. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where this draft will tell you what they value as most important at this specific point in time. Again, quarterback is always most important. No one's going to deny that. At least nobody with a functioning brain who works in NFL circles is going to deny that quarterback is the most important thing. And while it won't bother me to see them take a quarterback, I think it probably is the, the best move in the big picture for this organization to take a quarterback. That said, I get not taking one. Um, what what I, what I won't be okay with, as I've said repeatedly, is drafting wide receiver. That is absolutely the wrong move for this team. Even though draft pundits and everybody I keep seeing says that the Falcons are wide receiver is a position of need. No, it isn't. It's just of all the positions of need, it's like at the bottom of the positions of need, if you ask me. I'm okay with them taking an offensive tackle. I'm okay with them taking an edge rusher. I'm okay with them taking a defensive lineman. I'm okay with them taking a cornerback or a safety. I'm even okay with them taking a linebacker, although there aren't many at the top of this draft that are really standout guys, especially in the top 10. That said, You know, I think that decision will tell you a lot about what Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith want this team to be. How do they want to build this franchise? You know, if they draft a left tackle or a tackle period, one of these top flight tackles that are coming out, it says to me that guess what? We're going to solidify our offensive line first. Then we're going to protect the quarterback and we're going to make sure the young quarterback that we end up taking is set up for success and we're offensive minded. If they take a pass rusher, it tells me that, once again, they've recognized that the Falcons are one of the worst pass rush teams in recent memory in the NFL, and it absolutely needs to be addressed. And if you have any hope at at keeping Grady Jarrett here long-term, you need to put somebody next to him on the line that can wreak havoc uh, and make Grady Jarrett's life a little bit easier and and much more fun to play next to. Take a cornerback, and it tells you, guess what? We recognize that we are bad on defense. And the best way to get good quick on defense is to be able to shut down other teams passing games with two corners uh, who can eliminate patches of the field. Right. Like that's what they did. That's what all these decisions tell you about what they think. And you can say, oh, they just take best player available. Yeah. okay, I get it. Best player available. But. When you are in a rebuild, there is a process and there's a step and there's an order, and all that stuff has to go into place. And if you don't do things in, in a certain order or with a design path, you're going to screw it up. So, again, uh, it's about pl- best player available. That's not a wide receiver. There's just legitimately no reason to draft a wide receiver. Uh, it, it's the one move that should make Falcons fans absolutely vomit right on the spot if they take a wide receiver. And I'm going to say that for the next two weeks leading up to the NFL draft. There is there is no reason for them to take one, not with Marcus Mariota throwing on the football. Just it, it's there's no reason. You can't justify it in my mind. So, I wonder who's going to be better this year statistically, the offense or the defense. And, and part of me thinks that if the defense can play a little bit better than they did last year, um, they may win a couple more games than you'd think. You know, again, I'm not going to put it all on the defense. Uh, they're not going to be good. But if Dean Pease can coach them up and make them a little bit better, uh, and I'm sure he's had input on some of these guys that they've signed and some of these players that they've brought in, but none of them are standout names. You're Again, you're really relying on on one great player in Grady Jarrett and one really, really hope-to-be-great player in A.J. Terrell. After that, everybody's pretty much just a guy that we know of. There's nobody else that stands out to anybody or should stand out to anybody within the organization. All right, coming up next, um, the Braves celebrated on their past homestand, and they didn't celebrate last night on the road. Plus, the Trey Young disrespect is real. That is coming up next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Locked On Sports Atlanta. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On, A-T-L, at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. More on the Braves coming up next. Welcome back into A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. You can follow me at Mark Zino, M A R K Z I N N O. Appreciate you guys interacting with us and listening to the show, watching the show. It's free on YouTube. Wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. You can catch A to Z and all the other great shows we got here on the Locked On Network in Atlanta whether it's hitting hard with John Chuckery or ATL Day 1s with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. I try to say that name's too fast. It always trips me up. Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste, ATL Day 1s. And of course, the Braves postcast with Grant McCauley, which is after every single Braves game. So uh, it has been a, a amazing start here. Uh, two things for Locked On Sports Atlanta. We are enjoying this. Uh, and this new venture that we're, we're going on and we're glad that you guys are staying with us and hope you continue to follow along. Speaking of new ventures, uh, before we get to the Braves uh, and the way they celebrated this homestand, which I think is great, um, despite the fact they went three and four. There are some people in town opining about what uh, they should and should not be doing. But beyond that, uh, did anybody happen to catch <laughs> Freddie Freeman's home debut last night in Los Angeles? Um you know, he's gone full heel turn. <laughs> I mean, Freddie really is all up in his feelings about not being brought, brought back to Atlanta. And that's fine. Like, I have no angst with Freddie whatsoever. In fact, I said this, and I said this on multiple radio shows before the Braves even won the World Series, that if they won the World Series, the smartest thing to do was to be to let him go. Um, That's just organizations moving forward and moving on. I, I get that he's a sort of a sacred cow here in Atlanta and he means everything to this franchise, blah, blah, blah. You know, he'll be in a ring of honor, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, Just from a, from a purely, you know, financial standpoint, from a purely what's best for a baseball organization standpoint, letting Freddie Freeman walk is probably the best thing this organization could have done. That said, he's all up in his feelings about this whole thing and he has gone full on heel turn uh, with everything related to the Braves and anytime he could take a shot at him. So last night it's a three, three game starting the eighth inning. Freddie Freeman laces a double to left center that bounces off the warning track and goes in the stands and the, and the crowd goes nuts and they start chanting Freddie, Freddie. Fred, and you can see the shot. They go up to the box and Freddie Freeman's wife and kids are there and they're jumping up and down and going crazy. And, and you know, there's this long, immediately they pull the pitcher for the Reds. And so there's this long ovation and all this noise and music playing and everything. And Freddie, you know, tips his cap and, uh, he went on to say, and you guys got to get this. This is great. Uh, his ho- The ovation of his home debut is, quote, something I'll never forget. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those comments you make when you're just trying to rub it in and stick it in a little bit more on, the, uh, on, on your ex, right? Like, that's all. It is. It's just the most special moment. I mean, come on, Freddie. I get it, man. I get it. You wanted to be back here. You felt spurned by the Braves. I get it. I get it. But let it go, bro. I mean, just move on. Turn the page and move on. You know, I, I, I'm not saying Freddie's being classless or anything like that, but there's a way to just kind of do all this. And if he felt like the Braves didn't do it the right way, that's totally fine as well. You know, there'll be a men book afterwards. By all, I mean, I mean, I know we love it when athletes are honest, right? But some of this just seems a little bit too much petty for me. Uh, and And check out my boy Jarvis Davis on his show because – They are petty, right? Like, I I know Jarvis well, and he don't mind being petty, so he understands petty very much, though. Uh, But that said, back to the Braves themselves. You know, let's not worry about where they are right now. Like, the two concerns I noticed after the first homestand are the the things that people are talking about the most right now. One, the strikeouts for this team and how many they have. um, That is a little bit alarming. And two, Eddie Rosario was batting like oh 40 whatever uh not good and so they don't have a leadoff situation figured out yet uh because I don't know if they want Ozzy there on a regular basis on a routine basis I don't think they feel I don't think Sniff feels that's best for him uh so until Ronald Acuna gets back they're going to continue to struggle with what the leadoff spot is going to be like and again when you have a table setter behind him like Matt Olson and then you got Austin Riley, and then you got, you know, uh, Marcelo Zuna, and you have all these big bats in the lineup. Your leadoff guy's got to be a big part of this, man. Like, he's got to figure out a way to get on base. If it's not a hit, it's got to be a walk. It's got to be a hit by a pitch. You just you got to get that OBP up somewhere where you could start setting the table for for the big bats in the lineup to continue to do what they're going to do. And Rosario's not doing it right now. Now, there's an argument, and I've said this to a couple people who are close to the Braves. Maybe Rosario's back to playing in the back of his baseball card. You know, he's a 270 hitter, and that's it for his career. Maybe the lightning in the bottle that they caught with him last year is no longer there. And that's understandable. That's fine. I I was one who thought they should have brought back Soler over Rosario. If you can only pick one of the two, I would rather have Soler. Why? Because, well, you know, his good spots land 475 feet from home plate. So yeah. But, you know, I'm not ready to write off Rosario yet as a, a bad signing or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. But he's struggling at the top of the lineup, But I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily where he fits best. Uh, I think he's a better guy with, with protection around him and, and, and guys in front of him and behind him that are going to do some damage, and it makes him see a lot better pitches. Totally different when you're batting first in the leadoff of the game. And sometimes it gets in guys' heads. When you're not getting a hit from the very first at-bat of the game, it stays with you, right? Um, So... That's where we are now at Rosario in the case They lose last night again. It wasn't good pitching, it was not good hitting, it was not good fielding. Let's not panic, folks. I mean honestly, let's not. Let's let's celebrate for a moment. I wanted to share this and this was from the the AJC. You know the Braves seven-game homestand opened the season. And I think this is worth bringing up because to me, like it's okay to celebrate. Like it's okay to enjoy what you did. The reason why part of the part of the enjoyment of winning a World Series is that you have this opening homestand where it is just so juiced, and everybody is loving every single moment of it. 265,000 fans showed up to Truist Park over the weekend. That's a quarter of a quarter of a million people uh, on a seven-game homestand. Uh, that, that, to me, is, is awesome. You know, good teams draw three million people in a year. Um, so to get that number in one weekend is absolutely outstanding. 88, maniacal, crazy, got way too much money in your pocket, fans spent 151 dollars on the world championship burger you know that burger the one that they had that's got the the wagyu beef and the 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 gold leaf wrapped hudson valley foie gras chicken liver it's just called chicken liver anyway good nobody wants to eat chicken liver so you say foie gras so it makes it a little bit better uh, it's got a lobster tail on it anyway those you guys are maniacs knock yourself out uh 151 dollars yeah I'll, I'll pass burger can't be that good Nonetheless, um, Braves took on uh, nobody took up nobody took up the Braves offer for the twenty five thousand dollars version of the burger that included a limited edition World Series ring. Okay, I get it. Uh, over one hundred fifty nine thousand promotional items were given away. Seven hundred seventy three thousand magnetic schedules, forty thousand World Series rep, replica rings, and over fifty one thousand hot dogs were sold. Fourteen thousand pieces of gold collection merchandise were sold, including over fifty four hundred jerseys and over nine thousand caps. I mean. That's what it's all about. I have absolutely no problem with the Braves doing this and fans taking part in it all. That's why this is all here. That's why this is important because, you know, World Series don't happen often for most franchises, right? Not, not everybody can be the Yankees or the Red Sox where they win them on the regular, you know, every two or three years. So for the, for the organizations that aren't, y- you soak all this in, man. Good for you. For who cares about a three and four starting out three? And four? Who cares? They're going to be fine. Don't panic about things that you don't need to panic about right now. It was a great celebration for the Braves. They earned it. The fans, everybody earned it for being part of this whole thing. Let's hope that we have more celebrating to do as the Atlanta Hawks try to clinch a playoff spot. Lauren Jabara of Hawks on Bally will join us coming up next as we get set for the elimination game between the Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's coming up next, right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Free on YouTube and wherever you search for a podcast, search Locked On Sports ATL. We'll be right back. Welcome back into A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. And again, give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zeno, M-A R K Z I N N O. Of course, follow us here on Locked On A T L at Locked On A T L. Keep up with everything we have going on with all the shows here on the Locked On Network. Hawks have a huge game coming up tonight against the charlotte hornets uh against the cleveland cavaliers rather they already beat the charlotte hornets so uh they will take on the cleveland cavaliers with a chance to go to the nba playoffs and take on the miami heat and joining us now from Bally sports south hawks on Bally at twitter i think is where they are and she is the sideline reporter it is lauren jabara joining us here on a to z Welcome. Look at that. See, you know, usually when we do shows together, you're sitting in the host chair and I I'm the one who's here. Now we get to flip it around and uh, welcome. It's great to be here with you.
0: Thank you. Yeah. First of all, thanks for asking me to come on. I'm so excited about this playing game tonight. Obviously not wanting the season to end yet. I hope we end up in Miami tomorrow. Um, we have a flight booked to meet the team there. We'll be broadcasting the first game on on Hawks on Valley uh, if they make it that far on Sunday. So keeping my fingers crossed. I think it's going to be a good game tonight.
1: I appreciate you saying we like I could come with you. So uh no I can't. We, the collective you, us. <laughs> you, you have a flight to Miami. I don't. I'm staying here in Atlanta. All right. Uh Hawks in Cleveland. They get past the Hornets in rather easy fashion, you know, and it was a game that I was kind of surprised about. Not just not because they beat them and, or even not because they blew them out per se, but the way they did it. It not only was it Trey Young and like one or two other guys. It was Trey Young and like four or five other guys. I mean, six guys in double figures. And, and look, DeAndre Hunter having 22 points is great, but that's not not typically his game. You know, Gallinari having 18 points, points—that's he's not an 18-point and that kind of guy. So is it realistic to expect that they can get that kind of effort again?
0: I do think so. Um, the Hawks are one of the the hottest offensive teams in the league. That was one of the things that we saw, right? That's one of the things that have been carrying carrying them through this season. And that's honestly what carried them through the postseason last year was their ability to really offensively have that firepower. And yeah, you talked about six guys in double figures, two other guys in that game against the Charlotte Hornets were at eight points. So it was almost eight guys in double figures in that game. And one of the things that specifically stood out to me was the ball movement of the Atlanta Hawks. It was Trey's ability to pass out of those traps, pass out of those box and ones, being able to drive the lane, kick it out for three. But they were finding their fourth, fifth, sometimes even sixth option. They were sharing the ball and watching them for 82 games this regular season, and then one play-in game. They're at their best when they are sharing the ball the way that they did. And I think if they're able to do that against the Cleveland Cavaliers, it's gonna be very successful for them. They're gonna be seeing themselves in Miami come Sunday.
1: All right, you me and three of our friends could score on the Charlotte Hornets defense. That's a, That's <laughs> not the case for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, statistically on the year, they finished 5th in the NBA allowing 105 points per game. Uh however, over their last 10 games, they've been giving up 113 points per game. They lose Jared Allen uh to injury. He's not playing tonight. Uh and so, you know, this defense is a little bit different. Now, it's interesting to note, Lauren that The Hawks in their last 11 games are now 9-2, and straight up and against the spread if you're into that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their two losses were to Toronto and Miami. Uh, When you look at Cleveland, statistically, they are sandwiched defensively between Miami and Toronto. So I bring all that to light just to say that uh, they're playing a good defensive team. It won't be as easy to score. Uh, What sort of challenges can they expect from the Cavaliers defensively?
0: Yeah, I will make note that those games against Toronto and Miami, they were close games through basically three and a half quarters. It came down to the end of that fourth quarter in the execution. They were like two, three, four-point games throughout basically the entire game, back and forth. And I remember working that Miami game, there was 17 different lead changes, and it was tied 11 times. So it just showed how close of a margin of error that that game had. Um, and similar to Toronto, too, in Toronto, that I will say that Toronto game, that atmosphere there, like with everything going on with COVID, etc., those fans are wild. That felt like a playoff atmosphere, and it was Game 79 of the regular season, so it was pretty crazy. I think we're in for a treat with that series against uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. But back to the Atlanta Hawks, you look at a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that not having Jared Allen is going to be a big thing for them, especially with his length, his rebounding ability, um and I know they haven't been playing with him for a while but it's just the way that the Hawks are set up right now on the offensive side. They're top six in the NBA in offensive prowess. And they're the only team in the NBA that has six players that have averaged in double digits throughout the entire season. The only team in the NBA. So they're getting scoring from everywhere. It is balanced scoring. The biggest thing for me is defensively. Can they step up against a team with a guy like Mobley who can facilitate and shove down those guys on the defensive side? And we saw that against Charlotte. Charlotte was the third best offensive team in the NBA, and the Hawks held them to 103 points. They were able to get back in transition. Clint Capella himself had 17 rebounds in the game against the Charlotte Hornets. So I think it's going to come down to defensively Keeping guys in front, defending is a five-man unit. Head coach Nate McMillan always talks about defending like a fist. If you're throwing a punch and your fist looks like this, you're not playing tight together, that punch ain't going to hurt very much. But if you have a tight fist like this and you put sock a guy, it's going to hurt. So play connected basketball. Play with a tight fist like this. That comes from communication. That comes from knowing you spacing on the floor. That comes from defending your guy whether you're defending with man on man or whether you're defending zone um, and just making sure you know where you're supposed to be. And then I feel like their offense is going to flow from the defense. But the biggest thing to focus on in this game tonight is going to be the defensive prowess, shutting down Mobley, not letting him facilitate, and then also just not letting them, you know, drive the lane and kick it out to the perimeter. Just stay solid defensively, keep the guys in front, and work hard in transition. Get back in transition. If you turn the ball over, get back. Um, and make sure you're giving 110 the entire
1: game. Lauren, when you talk about that fist and the the, the little analogy I used there, one of these little pities, you know, because this <laughs> little pity is Trey Young and this little pity is is DeAndre Hitter,
0: Hunter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter. Uh the little pity that is John Collins is not there, and he is one of the best defenders that they have. But yeah. for me, you know, I, I think John John Collins' loss is more critical on the offensive end when you're playing good defensive teams like Miami like toronto and like cleveland because look i mean you know other teams have to respect john collins as a legitimate 20 point a night guy and a legitimate yeah. score so they are going to have to put a body on him. like if i'm cleveland i'm sitting there i'll let anybody else beat me but trey right honestly it, it, trey should not have a above 35 percent shooting night if i'm cleveland like that's my goal do not let him get to the free throw line guard the hell out of him and force these other guys to beat me as you mentioned there are other double digit scorers but they're not 20-point scorers, and they're not 29-point scorers like Trey. And theoretically, that should be enough. And without Collins in the lineup to divert some defensive attention away from Trey, like that's my philosophy if I'm the Cavaliers. Just make sure anybody beats me but Trey Young.
0: Yeah. Here's the thing for me is they've been used to playing without John Collins since mid March. I think the last time he played was March 11th. So they've really adjusted in terms of personnel and sliding guys over and Danilo Gallinari has done a really good job stepping up into that four position. He has a lot of playoff experience. He's 32 years old, 33, maybe. So he's a veteran on this team and he knows, what this time of the year is all about even the games because he's kind of been in and out of the lineup with some with some arm issues after he got tangled up in a game a few weeks ago um and even deandre hunter who's usually a three slid over into that four position he was playing the four for a couple games and had some solid games at the four but danilo Gallinari stepping up into that four position um he's been really he's been doing a really good job the one thing i think especially that they miss about john collins is his his rebounding ability. He's the second best rebounder on the Atlanta Hawks, but Clint Capella really has been stepping up. And that was a big thing that Nate McMillan stressed too, is everyone needs to be rebounding, especially in the game now. Teams are taking a heck of a lot of threes. So there's going to be a lot of really long rebounds. So he even needs the guards like Trey Young, Kevin Herter, those kind of guys rebounding too. It needs to be a full team effort on the boards. Um, And so that's going to be a big thing. But yes, offensively, I think that the Hawks though, have found a rhythm and you look at their, their their total of wins they've had at the end of the season this year, they have figured it out with John, out John Collins. Yes, obviously it'd be better to have JC back in the lineup, not just because of his basketball skills and his athleticism, but just his leadership. He is the leader. He is the captain of the Atlanta Hawks. And you even see him on the bench when he's been out. He's in the huddle. He's like sitting next to coaches, looking at plays, So it would be good to have that leadership on the court, too. But right now, offensively, they haven't figured out. They're clicking. They're moving the ball. They're sharing the ball. They're communicating. And just because John Collins isn't in, I don't think that, you know, immediately translates to, hey, the Hawks are going to suck on offense. Um, I think that enough guys are going to be stepping up, and they know their role. They know their responsibility, especially a guy like Bogey, who's been one of the best six men for, for the Hawks since basically january he got hurt obviously an ankle injury that has been coming off the bench as a sixth man and he's been putting up about 20 25 points a night so you know right from the start if gallo drains his first three if kevin Herter drains his first three if bogey drains his first three all three of those guys are going to pop off and have a good night
1: i I don't want to ask this depressing question but you know me i'm so much fun i'll ask it yeah uh if the hawks lose tonight how do you characterize this season is it a disappointment
0: I honestly, hearing from Nate McMillan after the Houston Rockets game, one of the biggest things that stood out to me was he said, we don't expect to feel like this at the end of the next season, feeling like we're clawing and scratching in for a playoff position. Um, I don't know if I would say disappointment because you look at the beginning of the season and Clint Capella obviously coming off of an Achilles injury. Kevin Herter had foot surgery. A lot of guys, Onyeka Kongwu had his labrum surgery on his shoulder. A lot of these guys are coming into the season not having any preseason minutes. And they weren't in shape. So it took them a little while to get their lungs and their legs underneath them coming back from injury. And then guess what? They finally get into a rhythm like mid-November, beginning of December, and boom, COVID hits. 13 different guys in the COVID protocol list. Um, They had nine, 10-day contract players at one point. I remember one game, Trey Young said he walked into the locker room. Only two roster players were in the locker room. He's like, who are these guys? Who are my teammates right now? (laughs) So they have gone through so much turbulence and, and tribulations throughout the season that, yeah, it might be a disappointment, obviously, coming off of going to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, getting hot in the postseason. But at the same time, you have to look at the season as a whole and what they've been through. It hasn't been every single guy, every single game. And I think that if it was, they would have had a lot more wins than they did this season. But you look at how they did finish. They have a better record this season than they did last season. And granted, yeah, they played 10 less games last season, but they were also fifth place with a better record this year a worst record last year so it just shows how much better the eastern conference has gotten i think so i wouldn't necessarily say disappointment but i know that heading into next season nick mcmillan and the players definitely expect more out of themselves and i think that we will see that um especially with the contract extensions that got done and then also just with covid kind of slowing down a little bit too and, and not having to have you know those kind of issues like we did this season
1: well, look, we'll turn the page and not talk about the bad stuff because you will get it. You will get a flight to Miami. I I will, hope I will so. stay I here in bronze. Atlanta. I get
0: bronze. A
1: Lot of A lot of confidence in the Hawks tonight. Uh, so does the betting public, by the way, if you're into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Way too much of the betting public for my liking. But that's a, <laughs> obviously a different conversation. Lauren Jabara, see her on the sidelines uh, when the Hawks return to, to, to Valley Sports uh, and they end up taking on the Miami Heat. Great to talk to you as always. You have a wonderful weekend. Certainly appreciate you uh, spending some time with me here this afternoon and don't forget to check out lauren on PixWise as well we work there together uh check her out on PixWise, but also at lauren jabara on twitter thanks for the time girl appreciate it
0: thanks and i appreciate it we'll see you in miami
1: yeah <laughs> Bye. <bye-bye. laughs> all right that'll do it for us here today on a to z appreciate you guys spending your friday with us don't forget we're free on youtube wherever you search your podcast at locked on sports atlanta you guys have a great weekend don't take any crap from anybody see ya.